Today, we devote the next half hour to theology. And a little something extra you didn't expect. This is Lanyap Theology. I am Professor Todd Amick from the University of Holy Cross. And I'm Dr. Dave Delio, Chair of the Theology Department. And we are now back with Season 2 of Lanyap Theology, Theology with a Little Something Extra. And uh, we're, we're, we're really excited to join you for this second season. We're actually grateful that Catholic Community Radio wants us to keep plugging on. We're, um, we're, it's a great partnership. And, um, you know, Todd and I were just talking before the show how excited we are to keep bringing uh, the university kind of experience to the radio waves. Right. And there's a the unique experience that we have, which is that we get a cross-section of your children, yourselves, our friends, those who have a faith experience, those who don't in our classrooms, and the ability to be able to bring that out and to be able to talk about it truly brings the university out into the world, into your cars, into your homes. Right, and that's what, I mean, and, and honestly, that's what the University of Holy Cross really wants. They, they want that, they want um, folks like us and others to really say, hey, we're not just tucked away in the West Bank. We are, um, we're out there for the community and for, you know, even, you know, the world at large. And so this is our little contribution and um, we're really happy to be here. So this is our second season as um, as Todd, uh, Todd just mentioned. And we are, um, if you recall from our first season, we ended, I thought in a really great place. We ended kind of talking about the mass. And in that was the idea of the Lanyap theology was how do we kind of bring theological awareness to all things that we do in our kind of everyday lives or our weekly lives that theology can then bring to bear on it. And what we did was we walked through the four parts of the mass and we talked about how the Eucharist was a summit. And we talked about in a sense, how we as um, Catholics and Christians can kind of find ourselves there, who we are in relation to the majesty of God that we discover in um, in the parts of the Mass. And so we want to kind of continue that this second season. Right, and so what we're going to do is we're going to begin with really one of the, the biggest questions, which is what what is this mystery that we, we say we're going to approach? And the way we, we discerned the way that we would do this is I, I gave Dave a call, and I what did I tell you, Dave? Well, you know, it was it was funny because I think it was on a Friday afternoon and, and Todd called up and said, Dave, what do you think, like, what's the gospel in one line? And I said, well, you know, I think it's John 3.16. And then did you have it out in front of you or did you just pop it off from memory? Memory. memory. Yeah, you literally, he, Todd just kind of said, for God so loved the world. And, and I was, I thought you were like, you had it open, like you were ready for it. And, and so it was amazing that our minds were both on the same um, on the same page with that, but we really, what, what I think we want to do this season is really talk about kind of the gospel in, in, in that sense, evangelization. Right, and in all fairness, this is Benedict's focus too, the event of, of the way that God reveals, that we can approach theology in a lot of different ways, but but if we miss that central event, then we miss everything. Right. So so when I should have been writing my dissertation, of course, I was planning this and, and calling you and talking to you. But as we get to to then John uh, chapter 3, verse 16, and, and this is a uh, passage from Scripture, of course, from the beloved, beloved apostle, uh, that a lot of people are familiar with, and a lot of times, even if you don't know 
know what the words are, you've seen JN, the number three, colon, 16. At football games, at, you know, rallies and, and whatnot. And so it's actually part of our cultural lexicon that that it's 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 so familiar but the thing is and you've probably heard it for god so loved the world that he gave his that he gave his only begotten son that you almost kind of probably gloss over it or just say yeah yeah i've seen that i've heard that a million times or when you see the guy at the football the football game with the rainbow hair holding it up right it might not have as much impact or maybe it'll have more impact right and what i think is amazing about it is that everybody in our culture sees it. So believers and non-believers alike, people from different religious traditions and backgrounds, and they may wonder, what what is that? What does that mean? And I think Todd, it was very, I mean, it was a really um, serendipitous and providential when we talked about it, because we just said, really, that's the, the, that's the whole tradition wrapped up. I mean, outside of the creed, that phrase really gets everything that we're talking about as Catholics and everything we're trying to aspire to and live to in worship in our lives. I agree, and I think a, a good place to start then will be to actually read the passage. And what we'll be doing over the next 13 episodes over season two is we'll be taking what we learned in season one, which is what a theological awareness is, how to, to bring a theological awareness to our everyday experience, but also then how to inform that by the theological tradition, by the theological awareness, by the reflections, by the contemplation, and by the teaching of the church since the incarnation of God and Jesus Christ up until today. You know, and the other thing is is what Todd opened up the show with, which is what what is Laniap Theology about? That little something extra we always say is you. So we want to make sure that, you know, we're not just here to teach you. We're having our own conversation. We're learning a lot from each other. It's, it's, it's really fruitful and helpful. But it's also, what are you taking away from the show? And then what are you kind of chewing on in your own mind? What, what's, what, you know, what, what follow-up ideas and questions? And one thing that we're going to shoot for in later episodes is trying to find, trying to find time during the show to make sure that we're giving you places where you can communicate with us via Twitter, via email, and we're gonna give you those addresses so that if you have questions for us along the way, we can take a look at it and be able to respond to you as soon as we can. Right, and and uh, I think an important part of that, and maybe something that'll help us to understand what this awareness is, is to realize that that we are, in a very real sense, a part of this tradition. The way God reveals God's self to us is in dialogue. Right. And so if we see ourselves as passive participants on the outside and don't, don't understand that in that, that passive dimension has to be an active engagement, then we, we lose the dialogue. In a very real sense, we lose the way that God speaks to us through church, but also in the book of nature and through our experiences. Right. You know, I saw Brant Petrie, um, he gave a, a lecture a few months ago at the, the GO conference, and he had a really interesting point that Eucharistic adoration is a, a fundamental devotion that we have as Catholics. But what he said is, you know, don't let that get in the way of having what he would say is an adoration of the Word in Scripture. Meaning if you spend 15 or 20 minutes or an hour, uh, a regular time at your church or parish in which you do adoration, carve out 15 minutes a day where you spend time with the Word of God not incarnate in the in the Eucharistic species themselves, but in the words of the Bible. And um, what we have the opportunity on radio to do is to 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 bring that piece out. Um, I I know that for me that uh, I mean my, my priest kind of gave me a penance, which was you need to spend twenty minutes a day silently reflecting, using Scripture, using those things. Um, 
you know, before your day gets going. And um, it's been actually a harder penance than I thought it would be. Um, but at the same time, I see, I kind of, when he said that, it kind of went back to what Brant was saying, which is that can, be, if I can't get to an adoration chapel, this could be my 20 minutes of adoration in, 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 a, in its own way. But contemplating the words of scripture and seeing how each word has a profound significance. We tend to sometimes want to read in whole pieces and just like blow through it. Like, okay, got it done. Which is what happens when you just stop on a word and say, what is, what is that saying right there? Right. And the way that revelation works and moves, and as we see in sacred scripture, there's, there's God revealing God's self and, and then through the word and ultimately through, through his word, through the son, but then through those words, and through that ultimate word, who, who is Christ, then is the opportunity for silence and for awe and wonder. Then is the opportunity to be able to say what just happened and to allow that, in a certain sense, just to wash over you. So I can right. definitely understand what, what Dr. Petrie was saying as far as allow for the word, the word incarnate then in words, to, to inspire you to, to move. Right. In the, so that you can then move into the, the area where you're, you're allowing yourself to then be changed. One of my, my favorite professors in law school once told us, as attorneys, I want you to remember one thing, and one thing kind of, of, of preeminent importance, and that is that as attorneys, you do not read the law, you do not read sentences, you read words. You read words. And then what he would do is instead of looking at a whole law, he would focus in on that kind of that pivot, that hinge word, and he would say, what does this mean? Right. And in legal studies, the way you do that is you say, okay, well, what, what have, you know, what was the intention of the person that wrote the law? If you can, you research in committee. What were the circumstances around it? Why was it inactive? What were other, op, uh, uh, other words that could have been used, et cetera? You then move through the way that courts have understood that kind of through the, the legal system, through jurisprudence. But in theology, we approach it in a different way. We situate the word within tradition to be able to understand that, and then we bring ourselves to bear with it. But it's not, I mean, and that's a great analogy, but it's not so different because we always have to ask the literal sense of Scripture. What, is, what did the actual author intend? And in other words, that we don't fall into, the, I think, the trap of just trying to allegorize it all away. Um, on the other hand, and then we have to say, you know, did, where did this word show up in councils? Where did this word show up in great theologians? There's definitely a parallel um, structure. There's there. a parallel. Yes. There's there's definitely a parallel. So I think that I think it's a great analogy to think of. Um, and and you know, it's funny that you say that because that's how I've always approached theology. And and the reason was is when I got into theology, I had a background in, in political science and history, and didn't really. You know, I would come across words in the tradition, transubstantiation, metaphysics, and so on and so forth. And I was such a novice because I was on my own. I was living on my own in an apartment, and I just had, I had this little like Franklin uh, word thesaurus that you could like. It was electronic, but you could type it in. I mean, it's kind of ancient technology now. Before the internet did everything, right? right. And, and I would just, I would type in the word, and I would see, you know, it would have like kind of a thesaurus of synonyms, and so I, I don't think it really had the etymology of it, but. That was how I began my kind of intellectual journey into theology, which was, I don't even know what that word even means. I just want to know what the term itself says. And all of a sudden, what it did was it opened up a whole world of, of meanings to me that's, wow, it, it didn't have a fixed meaning that it changed over time, or this person used it that way and this person used it that way, which honestly made it more confusing. That was one of the big reasons why I did theology, because I wanted to find out, okay, I, I see that there's four different ways they're using the word. 
like what's what's the right one and um and i and i needed guidance i needed you know scholars and priests and others to kind of intercede on my behalf to help me understand right i think that's a really important point um if if we go to the spiritual meaning or the allegorical meaning of of what the word is or what scripture is without looking at the literal that's almost anti-incarnational right god took flesh to reveal himself and thus the literal sense within the historical uh the historical conditions really informs and feeds that but i think your experience as uh, of approaching theology as a novice is essential too the people that tend to kind of humble me are the people that that are converts to the faith people for whom this is new and thus they don't presuppose how many times right. in your class has somebody not done well on a on a theology assignment and come to you and said but i've been in catholic school my whole life right right and then all of a sudden they walk into it and i say okay but how are you using the word right there and i don't know you know it, it never occurred to me to stop and think about that one word that we hear all the time sacrament right and all of a sudden it takes on okay so how are you seeing it how are you understanding it Right. And on the, on the back end of the break, we're going to take a break in just a moment. What we'll do is we'll actually look at these words in the Word of God, and then we'll begin to tease them out and be able to lay out the structure of what we're going to do for the next 13 episodes. That's right. Well, you're here with Dave Delio and Todd Amick. We are Lanyap Theology and uh, really excited to be in our inaugural episode of Season 2. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man, but there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person, I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome back. I'm Professor Todd Amick. And this is Dr. Dave Delio. We are Lanyap Theology. And what we're doing on this side of the break is we, we prepared on the front end to concentrate on the Word. And the Word that we're looking at now is John chapter 3, verse 16, an articulation, a communication of the heart of the gospel, the event that then theology kind of moves around in a, in a perichoresis, kind of gets a little further away sometimes, a little closer in, and then, and then brings a theological awareness to. And I'm going to go ahead and read this, this statement, uh, this section of sacred scripture, and then what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to tease out each of the words that are going to give us the structure for the next, the next uh, season. This is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Very short, right? very pithy, very tight. But also at the same time, it's what we, we, we tend to kind of read it and, and blow right through it almost. Like, oh yeah, 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 I know that one. Okay, what, what's next? And um, I think what we wanna do here is say, wait a minute, hold on. Each word has a, 
whole weight or universe of significance and meaning to it that and it's not that you know i mean look the fathers of the church would take a passage like that and break down each piece of it like thinking like an origin or a um chrysostom in a, in a homily would would break down these words and say here's what that many of them use an allegorical method we're going to try to use um more of a literal method in terms of trying to do the philosophy the theology the history behind it um not to say that there can't be allegory also used um but we're all and we also want to say in kind of a homiletic evangelical fashion how does it bear upon the present where is this passage today besides the football games where is this passage today where is it in your life and um not only that but all the words because what's neat about a sentence is a sentence is built up of a bunch of discrete units verbs nouns adjectives whatnot but it's strange have you ever thought about a sentence that by the time you've got to the end of it there's a whole meaning that's been unfolded in all those so you don't just focus on one word you're gonna you're seeing how the word with the verb and then the adjective that describes it and then the next noun and the next prepositional phrase they come together and create a whole what we want to do is what todd just did is he provided us with a whole there's a whole set of meanings there and it's a beautiful set of meanings it really is the heart of the gospel and yet we want to kind of break it down to its parts and then come back on the other side of it and say what are these whole what is this whole meaning what's happened here right and and if 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 you we reflect a little bit on some of the most profound words that we've we've heard I, I think that that can demonstrate kind of what you're talking about i'm just just in you mentioning that i'm i'm thinking of getting married and you say i thee wed you know you can take each piece and you tease it out and there's the there's the meaning behind it but when you put them together and you realize okay that's said in a liturgical context that's said when you're surrounded by all your family and friends that's said when your life changes drastically and dramatically from the moment you've walked in until the moment you walk out we realize that not only is there a profound meaning in each of the words but when they come together they, they mean something brand new and so as we look at that the words that we'll be teasing out will be first god the mystery of god we'll, 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 we'll look at that next is love next is world next is son next is whoever next is believes next is perish Next is eternal life. And what we'll do for each of these words, or each of these themes, is we're going to do three simple steps. Simple steps that will get us to the point where we can be more aware theologically of our environment, how these, these words and the meaning are compelling, how they refer to the event, the event of Revelation. And the three steps we're going to take are, first, we're going to introduce the word and situate it in the tradition. So within the Christian tradition, which has an historical, a philosophical, and a theological dimension. That's step one, intro the word and situate in the tradition. Second is that we'll, we'll then glean a contemporary understanding so that when we say a certain word, we realize, wait a minute, not only what will other people hear when I say this, but, but specifically, how has that influenced and affected me? Right. Okay. And then the third will be the take home will be how do we then bring our contemporary understanding, which is the understanding that we see around us, the cultural understanding that we see through movies, through music, through art, through architecture, through all the different means and bring that into conversation with the tradition to be able to then see how do I offer 
in meditation? How do I bring this to prayer? How do I bring this to the liturgy? And how do we eventually get to the point of contemplation where we understand more intimately the meaning behind the word and then ultimately the entire phrase itself? Right, and even in a practical way, how do I bring this to the dinner table? Like when we say the word God, you know, it would be foolish for any of us at this point in time in 21st century America to think everybody, when we say it, everybody's like, oh yeah, we know what you're talking about, you know? Um, because you can't say the word God to an atheist or to a Hindu or to a Muslim, and in, in, these are neighbors of mine, for example, um, and all of us be on the same page. And so we have to be able to have, say, to be able to say, well, what do you mean by that? And what do I mean by that? And how can I have a dialogue with you? How can we have a discussion? What do you do when your kid comes home from school and asks, you know, what is, you know, dad, what is love? Like, how do you, like, how do you love me, dad? Or why do you love me? You know, and, and kids will ask like such an honest, poignant, kind of hot knife question that what are you going to say? Oh, I did all these things for you. I mean, is that, is that what they're really asking? Is that what that means? And so I guess when we, when we mean take home, we want you to kind of make it yours. Make, you know, it becomes a part of your kind of thought life, your prayer life, but then also in your practical life that you can have a conversation with your parents who are dying. You can have a conversation with your spouse about it. You can have a conversation with your kids or your neighbors. And, and what you're going to come off as is in our hope. I mean, this is something that I strive for. Um, especially when I was learning theology, when I was first learning, I was, you know, once I got the concept down, I was proud, you know, and you'd be in bars and you'd be like, so what do you do? I do theology. And then you know, so you get in this <laughs> argument, you know, and, and, you know, there are many times, even when I won, I lost. And um, what I think about that is how do you begin to kind of talk about the tradition, talk about the life of faith, talk about these things in a way where the person comes a, comes and says to you, wow, that, you know, that's reasonable. That's, that's even compelling, even though I'm not there yet. I have a, a really good friend who's a neighbor who's an atheist. And we have probably some of the best conversations about God, world, politics, all that. He knows exactly where I'm coming from and respects it. And I respect where he's coming from. And part of the thing he respects is that I don't sit there and have to like bludgeon him and try to win the argument. I can state plainly and reasonably, here, no, 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 here's what the church is really saying. Now, you can take it or leave it. In other words, you may not accept it or believe it, but and he, he, that's compelling to him to keep the conversation going. Right, what, what opens us up to be able to do that is, is the mystery of love. It is love that, that draws us, and ultimately a love revealed in, in Christ and in this statement of the Father sending the Son, but love allows us never to look at another as a means or as, as an argument, but instead to see the other as other, to recognize the mystery of the other as most fundamentally not just a lover through human agency, so through our human ability, but in, in her fundamental reality, the fundamental being of the other as beloved, 
Right. I began a uh, a mission once, a, a parish mission, where the the fruit of each night was a, a, a different word. It very similar to what we're doing here, but to be able to contemplate. And the the first night, the fruit of it was beloved. And the homework that I gave everyone at this mission was to to see each person. It was a three night mission. So the next day, and this is after an evening of prayer, to see each person and to say in 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 one's own mind voice, beloved. And to spend just a moment with each person experienced throughout the day, reflecting on the mystery that the the ultimate reality of this person is that they are not just lovers, but they are loved. That there is someone, ultimately God, who is profoundly and intimately in love with this person. Right. And so the meditation was beloved, each person beloved, which brought us eventually to the very difficult part, which was uh, intended which is say this person is intended, and the third, which is forgiven, which is to say even if they haven't received that forgiveness, that they're being offered forgiveness. And on the night when we went from intention to beloved to forgiveness, all, all of our eyes opened up. Right. Because we began to see every person as loved through forgiveness. Right. And then to realize, okay, well, well how, do they, how, how do I then respond to that? Right. That's right. And, and I mean... Uh, I think that um, as you're saying that we're not looking at people for a quick conversion or a um, uh, you know a win what we're looking at and I think this is what you're really saying the profundity of what you're saying is um, we approach different people in different ways when when we, we we love people as friends we love people as family we love people as spouses um, so love has these different senses, which we're going to look at. Um, but what we're really trying to do is say, that's what the gospel is about. It's about that interaction, but I'm taking you and all of your history in life seriously. You know, I've been reflecting on um, um, the book of Samuel when um, when kind of Saul is on the outs and... Um, Samuel is tasked with finding the next king and um, when he comes across David and there is um, well first he he asked Jesse to bring his sons and Samuel sees the first son and he says well you know this is you know this has got to be the guy He's, look how big he is strong. how strapping yeah right firstborn and then there's that and which is an amazing thing about God God doesn't give us the firstborn. Um, in other words, he, that's human. That's human tradition. What God gives us is the shepherd kid, who's you know a, a young, good-looking guy himself, but the baby of the family, who's like, come on, that guy can't lead. But the the key passage, and I believe it's um, Samuel sixteen seven, but I, I, may, I may be wrong. But it it sticks with me. I I think about it all the time, which is. Man judges by appearances, but God knows the heart. And um, and I think about that when we are encountering other people, that how limited my knowledge is and what I really don't know. And this is what you were really kind of getting at, which is like, but how can we see people as God would see them? And tremendously difficult and, and never in the way that God could ever understand someone. But it is one of these things that how do we get past our appearances? you know, of what we think about and what we perceive and how do we move to those more fundamental aspects of them being human. 
especially loved by God first before we even knew him. Right. But to understand what, what that love looks like, we have to have some sense of who God is and how God reveals God's self. Right. And this is going to be the, the next step um, uh, and uh, certainly the, the beginning of, of probably the next two shows is going to be situating who God is, what, what is brought to mind when we say God in the tradition, and then looking at a contemporary understanding. Uh, in my, my classroom, in as much as we're bringing the classroom to the world, right, and, and to our listeners and bring ourselves into that experience or the university into that experience, um, I realized that as much as the theological lens was love, I, what I had to do was I had to ask everybody in the class, when I say love, what do you hear? And the answers were, were, in many cases, what you'd expect, but in so many cases, shocking. And so what we're going to do is, over the, the next 12 shows, we're going to look at each part of John chapter 316, situated in the tradition, see what a contemporary understanding is, and then, together, bring ourselves into that conversation. So this is uh, Dr. Dave Delio from the University of Holy Cross with uh, Professor Todd Amick, and uh, we are Lanyap Theology. Lanyap Theology is a production of Catholic Community Radio.